Galatians chapter 5. And this will be for the last time this evening. We did a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we looked at each one of these character traits individually. And tonight the last one, Galatians 5 verse 23, and that'll be self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but when we sang that song, Blessed Assurance, Visions of Rapture, Perfect Submission, Perfect Delight, All is at Rest, I am always happy, always blessed. When I sang that, I meant that for heaven. <laughs> and I meant that as a longing for now too. I long for that, but to be frank and honest, that it's not always the case, that I'm always happy and blessed and always, well, I am always blessed in Christ, uh, but I'm always praising and all is perfect submission. I long for that. I pray for that. And that's why I sang it with gusto. <laughs> that this is what I want, Lord. And, and the second, the, the last song we just sang, that was a perfect balance of take my life, Lord, let it be. And I'm saying that because when we talk about self-control, we as Christians know sometimes we just battle with self-control. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll hear his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you now praying. We want perfect submission, perfect delight. And we know in heaven that'll be perfect, but not yet. And yet we strive for that. We desire that. We pray for that. We fight for that. We weep for that. We sigh for that. We pray that your Spirit will help us to understand and to apply self-control. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the fruit of the Spirit, or but the fruit of the Spirit, you know this by now, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and... And? Thank you. <laughs> Self-control against such things, there is no law. So in 1997, I actually checked this because I remembered when I was in high school, there was an advert on TV, a Sprite advert, and it said, trust your instincts or trust your instinct, obey your thirst, Sprite. <laughs> and that is exactly what you should not do. You should not trust your instinct. And you should not obey your appetites. You should control your appetites and command your appetites. The Bible teaches us to have self-control. Now, what does it mean to have self-control? When my children were young, during our family worship, we taught them the Westminster Shorter Catechism for Children. And they had memorized all these questions. That's the one we use at Kids Club. And we also taught them character traits. So every month we would have a character trait for that month. And one of the months was be self-controlled. And the little definition I thought up for that was, I don't know if my children can remember. Well, that's a lot. I don't know if you can remember. Can you look over to self piercing Okay. Not at all. <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> so the one, the one we taught them for self-control is, Don't be controlled by selfishness. Don't allow selfishness to control you. And the verse we had to memorize 
was Proverbs 16 verse 32. He who controls himself is better than he who takes a city. It's actually just the second part of the verse. So how do you become a self-controlled person? How do you get self-control? Now I'm going to split this up into two. The first will be unbelievers and self-control. And then secondly I'll talk about believers and self-control. So unbelievers and self-control. The word self-control in verse 23. The Greek word obviously means to control yourself. But it means to have self-mastery. It means to have such a control that you restrain yourself. You can yourself and tumor. You can hold yourself back from having what you want. Now a question is, how is this self-control a fruit of the Spirit if there are some unbelievers who do this better than Christians? How do we say this is a fruit of the Spirit? You need the Holy Spirit to do this. When you think of Buddhist monks, it's like they've got super self-mastery. Mastery over their appetites and desires. Or you get a, a Roman Catholic monk. So you've got a monk in some monastery somewhere, and it's like they're really so self-controlled and so disciplined. Or a Kung Fu master, where it seems this guy's just got perfect self-mastery. Or you look at a U.S. A Marine, a Navy SEAL, or a Reiki in the old South African Army, or uh, French Foreign Legion, or any of the special forces in the, world's arm, in the armies of the world. Like these guys are super disciplined and self-mastery and self-control, training and getting up early and, you know, all the rest they need to do, even psychologically, to become a Navy SEAL or a Reiki in the old days. Or what about professional athletes? They are super disciplined to just train for hours per day and follow a strict diet and all of the rest that goes with it. Or farmers. Farmers get up at what? They wake up the chickens. <laughs> get up early in the morning and they work hard. Or businessmen. If you've got a, a good businessman, they are disciplined people. That's how they became a good businessman and a wealthy person probably. So why do we say self-discipline or self-control is a fruit of the Spirit? Unbelievers can do it. They don't need the Holy Spirit for that. Well, I would respond to that by saying self-control is not being, it's not the same as being extravagant. It's not the same as being extreme. And I'll explain it to you in this way. An athlete, a professional athlete, there was a guy actually who attended our church for more than a year. He was a professional tennis player in the United States. And some of you who follow tennis, you might know the name, uh, was it Yevgeny Kafelnikov? This guy played Yevgeny Kafelnikov. So he was a really good tennis player. And he said they trained seven hours a day. That is extreme. Or you take people, and I'm talking about extreme, where they're super slim in their shape, their figure, and they eat two provitas a day, and they eat a slice of cheese and two apples and a green salad. That's extreme. Or you get this businessman who's a workaholic, and he works for 17 hours a day or 16 hours a day, sleeps for three, and I don't know what he does for the rest of his hours. That is extreme. That is not Biblical self-control. True self-control, empowered by the Holy Spirit, means you're even in control of your self-discipline. 
Those people are not in control of their self-discipline. To tell you the honest truth, they idolize self-discipline. They make an idol. They worship self-discipline. They worship exercise and food and work. That is not biblical self-discipline or self-control. Biblical self-control is a life of modesty, a life of mildness. This a matige leven, nie extreme leven, uitspattige leven. And no unbeliever lives in that way. No unbeliever is self-controlled in that sense. Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3 verse 3, he says in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days there will come times of difficulty because, and then he explains all the sins people will give themselves over to. And one of the sins they, they give themselves over to is no self-control. No self-control. You see, the fitness junkie, the fixate fanaticus, the, fi the fitness junkie or the workaholic, to you and me, they look like very disciplined people. They are not disciplined people. They are addicted people. They are not in control. They are controlled. They are controlled by work. They are controlled by uh, exercise. They are controlled by whatever the addiction might be. So the fitness junkie, that guy who trains for seven hours a day, that guy cannot say to himself, I need to cut down on this. This is becoming an obsession with me. I'm just going to uh, train for half an hour a day and no training on weekends. He can't say that. Because that thing is so mastering him, he's not mastering himself. And same with a workaholic. The workaholic can simply, he simply cannot say to himself, I'm only going to work for eight hours a day, I'm going to sleep for eight hours, and the rest of the eight I'll spend time with my family and whatever else needs to be done. He can't do that. He's so addicted by work and addicted to work that he's controlled by it. That guy simply cannot come home at night without bringing his laptop with him. Now, I'm not saying you may never bring your laptop with you. Sometimes there's, there, you, there's work that needs to be done. Um, but these guys, they're so addicted and so controlled by it, he cannot come home without bringing the laptop and continuing to work. He cannot go on holiday without taking the laptop with him because he has to work. That is not self-control. That is being controlled. That is under the control and enslavement of work. No unbeliever can honestly say and mean this, the following things I'm going to quote to you, different Bible verses. You see, unbelievers live for themselves. They cannot honestly say, your will be done. They cannot honestly pray with Jesus, not my will, yours be done. They cannot say with the Apostle Paul, I do not account my life of any value as long as I can just continue this course of ministry Jesus has given to me. I want to, my, my life is Christ. They cannot say that. The unbeliever cannot say, I live not to please myself, but to please Him who for my sake died and was risen. They cannot say, whether I am away from the body or in the body, I make it my aim to please Christ, to please another, to do His will. They cannot say with Revelation 12 verse 11, I do not or they, they did not live, love their lives unto death. They love, they love Jesus more than their lives. They cannot say that. You see, the unbeliever is controlled by his senses, by his appetites, by his desires, by his sin, by his lusts, by his thoughts. The unbeliever is controlled by the devil. 1 John 5 verse 19 says, The whole world is in the lap of the evil one, on the arms, being lulled to sleep. Unbelievers are dead in their trespasses and sins. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following their own desires, their own sinful passions. That's what unbelievers follow. Unbelievers are controlled by sensuality, by their, their senses, as I said, and appetites and so on. So an unbeliever, he says what he wants to say. He does not hold back. He listens what he, if I want to listen to that, I listen to that. I want to say that, I say that. I want to look at that, I look at that. No one's going to stop me. No one's going to tell me what to do. They feel what they feel, follow their senses and so on. So the unbeliever's whole life is about who? Self. Not about God. And so, so what follows then is what Jesus said. Cut off your hand. If your, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away from you. For it is better that you enter heaven or the kingdom of God with one eye than be cast into hell with two eyes. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away from you. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And so that's what follows because there's no self-control and no, no desire for God and no desire to please God and honor God. It's all about self. And then what follows is what Paul said to Felix in Acts 24, verse 25. He stood before the governor, the Roman governor, and he spoke about righteousness and self-control and judgment. And Felix trembled because he knew, I'm not a self-controlled man and judgment is coming. All right, so that is unbelievers and self-control. Secondly, let's look at believers and self-control. Now, false religions believe that you can earn your salvation. You can earn your way to heaven through self-control. I mean, again, look at what Paul says, for instance, in Colossians 2. He speaks about people, people who think if they keep the Old Testament feasts and they keep the seventh-day Sabbath and they keep all these days and rituals uh, or they gain mastery over their own bodies and appetites, and their senses, they think there's salvation in that. But don't touch that, you'll become unclean. Don't eat that, that's not kosher food, or that's unclean food, it's going to make you spiritually unclean. And Paul says, you'll never control your sinful desires that way, never. It cannot happen. Or they forbid marriage. If you, marry, if you get married, you're unclean. Uh, we, you must live a celibate life that's more holy, you know, like a Catholic monk. Uh, live a celibate life and... This is more spiritual in the eyes of God. Or pray five times a day, and that's part of your five pillars that you need to follow if you want to get to paradise. Or fast for a whole month. And they think they can, by inflicting pain on themselves and exercising super self-discipline, self-control, they can gain salvation. What does Scripture tell us? The Bible teaches us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we are not saved by self-discipline. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to Scripture alone. And from faith grows good fruit that the Spirit produces in us. And part of that good fruit is self-control. So that becomes a proof of salvation, not a requirement for salvation. That becomes the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. The root of salvation is Christ and His grace and we receive it through faith. But the fruit is self-control. So that's what Chris, that's why I asked Chris to read 2 Peter chapter 1. 
where he says, to your faith, add virtue. To your virtue, to virtue, add knowledge. To knowledge, add self-control. Or was it godliness first and then self-control? And then steadfast, or steadfastness, and then godliness, and then brotherly affection, and then love. So you add these things, and this is, by, by doing so, you make your calling and election sure. You make sure you are saved, for by practicing these qualities, if you do that, he says, you will never fall. Rather, there will be, there will be provided for you, in this way, a rich entrance into the heavenly kingdom of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's faith, but faith leads somewhere. Faith is, the, is, is, is how we, we take up the, the nourishment or draw the water. It's how it's drawn into the roots to us. But then it has to go somewhere. It has to bear fruit to prove it's real faith. There has to be self-control to prove there's real salvation. It's part of Christianity. So it's the Spirit who helps us then. The Spirit helps us to say no to sin and to say yes to obedience. Yes to righteousness. Yes to godliness. Yes to self-control. I want to read to you from Titus chapter 2. We can see this in verse 11 and 12. Titus says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age. Now, it's possible now as a Christian to live a self-controlled life. So, so by God's power, by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, it's possible to do God's will. It's possible to say, no, I'm not going to sleep in. I'm not going to sleep late. I'm getting up. To have time in prayer and the word. Because 1 Peter 4 verse 7 says we must be self-controlled for the sake of our prayers. It's possible by the Spirit's help to say, no, I'm not going to spend more time on Facebook, on Insta Instagram, on YouTube. I'm not going to give more time to this. I'm putting this phone down or this tablet and I'm now going to give time to meditate on God's word, to read God's word. It's possible by the Spirit. No to laziness. No to spiritual laziness especially. And yes to coming to church on a Sunday morning. Or on the Lord's Day. Sunday morning, Sunday evening to be with the believers. By the Spirit. No to anger. Yes to forgiveness. Because God has forgiven me in Christ. No to shouting and raising my voice in the house. And yes to being kind and tender hearted. Saying no to anxiety. And yes to self-control, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. No to overeating, and yes to enjoying the bread of life, Jesus, because if we have satisfaction in Him, that's really the key to, to every form of self-control, is being satisfied in Christ. And saying, I've got Him, I can enjoy milk tart and praise the Lord and eat and drink to the glory of God but I don't have to enjoy a whole milk tart alone. <laughs> By the power of the Spirit, it's possible to say no to this tongue, to say, I'm just going to speak my mind. Say no to that, and say yes to be quick to hear, 
slow to get angry or, and slow to speak. By the power of the Spirit to say no to addiction and to say yes to do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery or loose living, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible to say no to addiction and to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Say I submit my will to the Holy Spirit. It's possible by His power to say no to evil thoughts and to say yes to think what is good and true and right and pure and all of the rest in Philippians 4. To say no to disorder in my life and just chaos in my life. And to say yes to God is a God of order. God is a God of peace. And the Spirit can help me. Please, will you help me to be orderly in my life and have order? To say no to lust and to say yes to marriage. God gives you the opportunity to marry a Christian. Because Paul says, if you cannot control yourself, get married. No to lust and yes to, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. For God has not called us for impurity, but to holiness and so on. It's possible by the Spirit's power to say no to seeking attention and drawing attention to your body and your shape by the way you dress even on the beach, and to say yes to self-control. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, he says the women, he's talking to women there, they should not dress immodestly. You're dressing in such a way the men don't know where to look. Look at the skies. Look at your feet. He says no, but dress with modesty and self-control. You say, it's not about me. I don't have to have all the attention on me. Look at my body. I just don't get this. If I can just say a sentence more about this. I don't get this. It's the worst for me. Costumes are bad enough if, if it's immodest. But the worst for me is at a wedding. And the woman's getting married to that man. But she wants to show all the other men, look at me. That's your man, not all the other men. It's possible by the power of the Spirit to not want to be the clown and the center of attention in the conversation. Everyone must look at me and laugh at me. It's possible to say, no, it's not about me. How can I build others up? How can I encourage others and speak what is wholesome and good? It's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit to not be a hoarder. You know hoarders. People, I just need to buy that too. Oh, I need to take that too to my house. Like rats gathering everything in a nest. It's possible to say, no, I don't need more stuff. I can be like Zacchaeus and share with others. I've got a lot. It's possible by the Spirit to be self-controlled and not be a kleptomaniac. Where you say, I've just got this urge, this impulse, I can't help stealing. I've got stuff. It's not that I'm poor and hungry, I just want to steal. It's possible to say, no, let me work an honest living so I can have something to share with others too. You see, without, without self-control, the Holy Spirit's going to lead you like a bull is led by the nose. It's this bull with a ring in its nose. Very sensitive. Just lead the bull where you want to. And the devil can lead you exactly where he wants you if you don't have self-control. A man without self-control is like a city without walls. It's like a city broken into. 
says Proverbs 25, 28. Almost like Paul uses the example in marriage, he says, husbands and wives, you shouldn't deprive one another in the bedroom. He's talking about intimacy, sexuality. Don't deprive one another. Why? He says, because you're going to be tempted by the devil because of the lack of self-control. Because now my wife, I'm not getting it from my own spouse, so I better look elsewhere. Where's the grass greener? And actually the grass is not greener somewhere else. You're kidding yourself. Uh, but, but Paul says you're going to be controlled by the devil. Satan will tempt you. Satan will tempt you. So we can, as Christians, by the power of the Spirit, no to sin, yes to righteousness. It's possible. Even if you're sitting there and think it's not possible. No, it is possible. And the more you do it, the more you say no to sin, the weaker that becomes in your life. The more you say no to sin and yes to obedience, the stronger self-control becomes. The stronger self-discipline becomes. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, I just feel so discouraged. I almost feel despondent. I'm almost in despair because I think there isn't hope. I've tried and tried and tried and tried. I don't have self-control. I keep on falling into the same sin. Well, let me encourage you by saying, don't sit in a corner and lick your wounds. Get up and do Proverbs 24, 16. The righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up each time. And seven, the perfect number. You get up again and again. You get up again and again. And you repent of your sin. And you are angry at your own sin. And you are angry at yourself. Why do I keep on doing this? And then you turn to the Lord. You don't keep on beating yourself. Yes, you see your sin. Yes, you're angry at your sin. Yes, you rebuke yourself. But when you've done that, you turn to Christ. And you come with a contrite heart, a nederige heart, a gebroke heart, a verslaag geest. And you come to the Lord and say, I've sinned against you, Lord. This was evil. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I sinned again. And you get rid of the sin that clings so closely. And you get rid of all these snares and traps and say, Lord, I don't want these. Remove them as far as possible from yourself. And you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, help me. Help me fight to the death. Fight tooth and nail. And then the next thing you do is you train hard. Like an athlete trains hard, you train hard spiritually. No little putting your toes in the water, in the water of the Bible. No, jump in. Swim. Swim, Yanni. You train hard, says Paul. Every athlete, says the Apostle Paul, exercises self-control, self-discipline to get to that prize. He has to train to get there. Train before the race. And then Paul says, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after teaching others, I should be disqualified. So we train hard. We train hard, says Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And then he continues in verse uh, 7, second part, train yourself for godliness. Ufen, ufen, training, self-discipline, self-control. Keep on going, keep on going. You're not doing this in own strength. You've got the help of the Holy Spirit. 
And you train yourself, you are trained by constant practice to discern good from evil, says Hebrews 5.40. Constant practice, constant practice. The word of God is enough for you. It is sufficient for training in righteousness, says Paul to Timothy. And you don't go it alone, guys. And I'm not an American church, otherwise I would have said gals. <laughs> guys and gals, you, know, you don't go it alone. Paul tells us, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Two is better than one. You've got elders in the church. And Paul says a mark of an elder is self-discipline, self-control, Titus 1 verse 8. So you go to them and say, can I go it with you? Will you help me please? And then once you've done that, you remove everything that can tempt you to be not self-controlled, unself-controlled. <laughs> but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Remove everything that'll tempt you to sin. I'll give you an example. A young uh, boy, <clears throat> he did something bad and his father caught him doing this bad thing and his dad spoke to him about this and then he saw that his son really wants to change. And then they were on holiday and the son wouldn't go with them swimming. And he said to his son, why are you not with the others? Because the other kids have gone. He said, no. I want to be godly. And I'm struggling with this sin. And I'm going to be tempted on the beach. That's what I mean. If that tempts you, cut off that hand. If that or the other thing tempts you, pluck out that eye. Get rid of what tempts you to sin. And sometimes, even legal pleasures, things that God has given that's not sin. Sometimes you should just say to yourself, no. Just to show your body, I'm in control of you, you're not in control of me. That's the point of fasting. That's why sometimes we say, for a day I'm not going to eat, I'm going to spend this day in prayer. And I'm not talking about intermittent fasting for coming into sh shape for summer. <laughs> I'm talking about spiritual fasting. We use fast and pray. Just to show your body, no, you're not controlling me. I'm in control of you. I'm in control of you. You see, where, do, where does, where does self-control over big desires start? It starts with self-control over little desires. Where you say no to little desires. And then when big desires come, you can handle them. Self-control starts with making your bed every day. It starts with cleaning your room. It starts with brushing your teeth. Self-control starts with getting up early. And then later on, when the desire for overeating comes, then you've learned self-control. Thomas Watson said, A godly man will not go far, as far as he may, lest he go further than he should. So he can go further here. It's not sin. God hasn't said you may not. But he says, I don't want to go as far as I may, so I can train myself that... I shouldn't go further than I should. And that's why you teach your children. That's where self-control, you start those kids little. 
That's why there's such a thing as dis- discipline for children. We teach them discipline. Instructive discipline, you teach them God's word. And informative discipline, you teach them clean up your room. You teach them do your homework. You teach them you put that plate in the dishwasher or in the sink. You teach them little acts of discipline. And then if they don't do that, well, then there's heat that can melt the wax in the ears. (laughs) Then there's a corrective discipline. To teach them, teach them. If you don't do that and train them from that little, then you are nurturing and, and with the key word suk, nursing almost. What's quirk in English? You plant a quirk. Cultivate, donkey. You are cultivating an adult who's going to be undisciplined because they didn't learn discipline when they were little children. That's what Proverbs tells you. He says, don't think if you use the rod that you're going to kill the child. No, if you don't use the rod, you're going to kill it. In Proverbs 23. And then he continues and shows what happens to such a child. He says, that's the kind of child you're going to get. Either going to be a, give himself over to some form of being undisciplined. Whether it's alcohol, whether it's eating too much, whether it's sexual immorality or whatever. You just read Proverbs 23, you'll see the pattern. From no discipline and what happens. Proverbs 29 tells us that's the kind of kid who's going to put his mother to shame. Mother's going to be very ashamed to say that's my child. Because there was no discipline as a little kid and now there's little self-control as a young person. So maybe there's someone sitting here and you're that undisciplined adult. You're an adult now and you just say, I'm undisciplined. My life is not self-control. And you want to change. Well, let me help you. The key to change, the key to sanctification, the key to a holy life is not the Ten Commandments. Paul says in verse 18, if you back in Galatians 5, Paul talks about this matter because the Galatians, the false teachers came in and said, this is how you're going to become holy. You keep the law. You try to keep the Ten Commandments or even the Sermon on the Mount. Try follow Jesus' teaching and you'll become a really holy person. Paul says not so. Verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So you don't become holy by following the law. Why not? Because your sinful nature loves rules. (laughs) The more the laws there are, your sinful nature says, Yippee! More laws to break. Paul says that in Romans 7. He says, before I knew the law that says you shall not covet, well, I didn't really have a problem with that. But as soon as I heard of that law, man, I coveted. I wanted every, hey, that's a nice thing. And I I want that now too. What about your wife? I want her too. And I want your money and I want your car. And Paul says, suddenly this, this tension became and my flesh just wants to break every rule in the book. So the solution is not or the way to become holy is not follow the Ten Commandments. The way to become holy and the solution to this whole dilemma is Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus, by dying on the cross, took the punishment for our disobedience, our undisciplined lives, our loving what we want, 
and not controlling ourselves, but loving sin and chasing it. And then through faith in Christ, we receive the benefits of that. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive the righteousness of Christ that covers us. And we've got a perfect record through Christ. And then also what we receive is the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is, ah, there's the solution. Love, joy, peace, patience, dot, 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 self-control. That's how we become holy people. So the Spirit actually is doing what you and I couldn't do. Because our sinful desires made us spiritually weak. There's God's law. It tells you, don't want your neighbor's stuff. I don't have self-control. I want it. And now the Spirit leads you, although you're not under the law, verse 18... Now it's verse 23 at the end. Against such things there is no law. You see, the Spirit leads you to walk where? In the law. But did you get there by just trying harder and sticking the Ten Commandments up at your kitchen wall so you can read it every day while you do the dishes? You didn't get there by reading the Ten Commandments and trying really hard. You got there through faith in Christ. By the power of the Spirit. And He leads you in line with this law. Now, are you resisting this? Are you resisting, first of all, the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ? And you just say, I just need to try harder. You're resisting. Are you resisting the Spirit who convicts you of sin and points you to Christ? Are you resisting the Holy Spirit of self-control? Even as a confessing and professing Christian. You say you're a Christian, but you're resisting the Spirit. Resisting the Spirit. What will happen to you if you're a Christian and you resist the Spirit? You will be disciplined. If you do not discipline yourself, God will do it for you. Then He will discipline you. And He will do it out of love. And He will do it to train you. So you can be a disciplined Christian. It's going to bring difficult things into your life to train you. The psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. He disciplines us. Our, our fathers disciplined us. Our earthly fathers disciplined us, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. At the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Train, 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 train. So the point of God's discipline is not to say, I'm going to really make life hard for you because I want to get the mess, my mess in fear. No. God disciplines us to teach us discipline, self-control. And if you still resist God and you will not be self-controlled, and you just continue in sin, you must know God is very serious about self-control. You keep on ignoring it, keep on ignoring it, keep on ignoring it, keep on ignoring it. What's the end of not being self-disciplined? You die. And I'm not talking about merely the death of the body. You look at that young man in Proverbs 5, who's been sexually immoral, and he's lying on his deathbed, body just wasting away, it says. And he says, how I hated discipline. 
I hated discipline. And it leads to death. Proverbs tells us in chapter 15, in verse 10, there is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. So we mustn't hate self-discipline. It's not God is not being nasty with us. He's being kind to us by helping us and disciplining us. You don't want to learn the hard way. You don't want to learn the hard way. Neither do I. Think of an example in Psalm 32. It says, don't be like a mule. Don't be like a horse. You need a bit in your mouth before you will listen and obey. I'll give you an illustration of this. Of a guy, he attended this church oh, more than 10 years ago. But this guy, he's a tall guy. And he walks like this. And what had happened to that guy? He was a young man with no self-control. All parties and alcohol and drinking and getting drunk. And oh, his father prayed for him to be saved. And it sadly came oh, the hard way. Because they were on the highway, actually on the off-ramp. And they were all drunk. And they, his friend said to him, get on the bonnet of the car. Got on the bonnet and they had an accident. They're driving. And this guy almost lost his life. And God saved him. Not only his life, saved his soul. He became a Christian. He's a passionate Christian. Don't learn the hard way. Or like a pastor I recently heard of. I know the church. I don't know the pastor. Pastor I heard of who very sadly had to resign because he didn't control himself. Fell into sin through a counseling situation. Don't lure the hard way. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, it's possible to be self-controlled. It's possible to do verse 23 and bear the fruit to the Spirit. Now it might sound to you, but this is self-infliction self and, and self-harm. It's like pain. I have to give up this thing I like. You give up this much, you gain much more. You gain much more. As Jesus said, he who wishes to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Let's pray. Lord, please would you help us and give us grace, all of us. I don't think anyone here can say I'm perfectly self-controlled. No, I don't, even, I don't even have to say I don't think. I know so, Lord, because none of us are in heaven yet. And I do pray for help. Oh, help us, Spirit of the Lord, help us to be self-controlled through faith in Jesus Christ and by the working of the Spirit and the grace that you give us, Father. We ask for this. And we ask that you would lead us and help us to live holy lives. Yeah, Lord, indeed, as Niels has said, that actually none of the, these other character traits, the fruit of the Spirit, we cannot do any of them without self-control. How will we be kind to others or how will we give ourselves to good works or gentleness if there's no self-control? So please guide us. Please help us, Lord. We want to honor you and live lives that are consecrated, devoted to you. And as a church also, to be a disciplined church and a faithful church to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
until Jesus returns and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. We want to hear those words. So we ask for your help. For Christ's sake. Amen.